to this episode of Designer Dow, where we talk about everything Web3 and design. I am your host, D. Elise. Hello, <laughs> and welcome back to Designer Dow. I know we've been out for a while, but it doesn't matter. We got some good stuff coming. So today I am with Jim, who is um, a crypto OG. <laughs> He's been in the game for five years, has been in places like Ave, things like that, but I don't want to butch, bot, you know, botch your intro, because I always do that. I'll have you introduce yourself. <laughs> yeah, happy to, happy to be on. So, tell me, I mean, we already talked about this, but, like, tell me a little bit about your background from, like, the audience perspective, so they understand, like, uh, your area of expertise as we start talking about some crypto stuff. Yeah, sure. So um, it's like what you mentioned, I've been in crypto full time for about five years. Uh, but I've actually known about it for like a little bit over 10 years. Um, I guess like my story started was like, freshman year of university, I just like, was in the same dorm room as this dude who was like, incredibly into crypto, uh, or Bitcoin rather, um, specifically at the time. And like, he was kind of like your typical Bitcoin lover in like 2013. It's like super libertarian, uh, like borderline, like a tinfoil hat wear for like a lot of like the government conspiracies. But I was definitely like really interested in kind of like the core concepts that Bitcoin was was uh, was was kind of you know, holding up for and, and was like interested enough to, to read the, the white paper and kind of like pay attention to it and, and buy like Bitcoin on. Mount Gox, which eventually became nothing, which was sad. Um, but yeah, so like, I was, I was always kind of like, you know, tangentially aware of it, and somewhat financially invested, or at least as invested as you can be when you're like a poor college kid. Um, but yeah, and so that's kind of like my intro to crypto. And then, um, you know, was just kind of following it, following up into ICO, decided I want to join, um, you know, kind of full time. And so my first role in crypto was actually uh, that of like a researcher. And so I worked at a consulting firm uh, in San Francisco and was essentially doing a lot of research for crypto and, and kind of packaging up for, for a lot of like institutional clients like banks and payment companies and, and what have you. Um, and then very quickly, I realized that I didn't want to do that anymore. Uh, and so I wanted to be a builder. And so I joined Ripple uh, as a product manager and was there for about two years, uh, kind of building their their core blockchain uh, kind of work, uh, and also tangentially helping out with their payments product to send kind of like cross border payments. Um, and then DeFi summer happened in 2020, and I was like, yeah, I don't really want to do that anymore. Uh, I want to like build in in DeFi, or rather, I want to build on Ethereum and, and build kind of with smart contracts because um, Ripple was kind of just pure pure pay- payment based blockchain. Um, and so I joined as a PM for an NFT company called Unstoppable Domains, um, which was, you know, I think a, a step in the right direction. I was definitely predicting the the buzz of, of NFTs, but uh, not necessarily um, the right category, right? I was, I was picking names, which are important, right? It's important to have a username uh, in the metaverse. And that was kind of my thesis. But, you know, obviously it wasn't as big as like art and, and community and, and PFP projects or what have you. Um, and so, uh, I kind of got jaded a little bit and left to, uh, join Ave and kind of go back to my financial roots. And so I was at Ave as the, the head of new products and experiments. And so, uh, did a lot of kind of work around core infrastructure work as it pertained to Ave. did a lot of ideation around new products that could complement the Ave product suite. Uh, and that was there up until 
mm-hmm. uh, November of last year. Uh, so I was there for about a year and a half. Uh, and then eventually uh, decided to start my own thing. And so now I'm one of the two co-founders of a project called Catalyst, which is a cross-chain mm-hmm. liquidity protocol. And I guess I've seen you around Twitter, like, talking a lot about inoperability. And, like, I guess I'm, I'm curious, like, why is that so important? And, like, how does that, like, help the end user? Because I feel like in crypto, a lot of times we talk really heavily about the technology and to non-technical folks, they're like, y'all just a bunch of nerds talking about a bunch of stuff we don't care about. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> uh, I guess, why yeah. is that so important in terms of, like, the greater, you know, sustainability of this ecosystem? Yeah, I'm glad you gave that caveat or else <laughs> I was going to give you a nerdy answer. Um, but I would say, like, as it pertains to why is it, you know, relevant and important to the end user. I think like when a lot of people talk about the UX Mm -hmm. limitations of blockchains, it's kind of, you know, inherent into some of the systems that that have been created, right? And so it's like something like having a wallet, right? And like having like sign transactions with a private key and people lose private keys or people get their private keys stolen and then they get their assets stolen, right? Or their board apes or what have you. Um and like that's that's like obviously a very very terrible kind of um, mm-hmm. uh, user experience for the vast majority of people. Um, but that's something that's just kind of baked into kind of the underlying blockchains, right? Especially when you think about Ethereum as the most popular um, mm-hmm. like smart contract platform where people are interacting with a lot. Like you can't really change Ethereum's like uh, like whole underlying account mm-hmm. level infrastructure right or at least you can't do it in like the matter of even like a year it, it would take a matter of like you know like four or five years in order to do so because that's just like how complicated ethereum is at this point um, but you could make a new blockchain and you can make a new blockchain that's built from scratch and, you're, and it could have kind of infrastructure that's built to to allow for things like oh like maybe you can just log in with your email or you know do like a google login right um or have like you know, some form of like recovery um, or some form of like, you know, you can like delegate, you know, your key recovery to like some some other entity like that. That's where I think like multi-chain and like the interoperability problem becomes really important because it's like, OK, now it's like you've built this new blockchain from scratch. You want everyone, you know, all these new users, all the mainstream users to, to interact with this one blockchain, but they still want to do things with Ethereum, right? They want to like interact with all the assets on Ethereum, with all the NFTs, with all the other kind of established protocols. Uh, And and that's where interoperability comes in, right? It's like interoperability is like super important for kind of this mainstream adoption that we're all talking about because it's like the underlying layer that allows all these different kind of chains that are configured and optimized for different things to to interact with each other like quite seamlessly, right? So it's like you have a Mm -hmm. chain that's really good for UX, kind of what I was talking about, but you still have like chains that are good for like games and have nfts or have like a bunch of liquidity for DeFi or what have you and so it becomes really important for all of them yeah, to I don't together know if you were at Eve denver this year but essentially the thing that i kept hearing over and over again was abstraction 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 and i'm glad we're here finally you know because yeah. i felt like i kind of <laughs> yeah. knew that as a designer it's like people generally are not gonna like onboarding telling people like how this works is not gonna be enough it needs to be baked into the user experience like um, and I think the part you touched on about account recovery is really important because if people are coming from like a centralized mindset, 
you know, they're used to being taken care of or like a centralized body being able to control things. And so they go to crypto, they, you know, make beginner mistakes and they, they look to the company or the wallet because that's what they're used to, you know, to like help. And a lot, you know, in the very beginning, it was like, we can't do anything for you. And they're like, well, F this, <laughs> you know? Um, so I think uh, yeah. the future may be just like all these chains working and it being completely abstracted from the user, which chain they're on and what task is, you know, associated with whatever chain. Um, and it'll just happen all like on the back end, I think, I think is it's kind of what we're moving towards. I don't know if you've noticed that trend. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a trend that I think people have been really interested in kind of um, mm -hmm. having it being realized for like the last few years, right? Like the second, like, like a multi-chain, like a true multi-chain thesis, like really took foothold. I would argue it was probably mm -hmm. like early 2021 at like the like the rise of like alternative L1s like Avalanche and Polygon and, and Binance Smart Chain, people were like, oh, like this could actually be like a real thing. But like, you know, flash forward two years, we're still kind of chipping away at it bit by bit. Um, and I do think like a lot of it has to do with not having robust interoperability and kind of infrastructure in order to enable it, uh, enable that kind of like smart routing to different chains and kind of having like an overlay, overlay network to abstract that for the user. Um, but I agree, I was in Denver, and I think a big conversation was around like, you know, account abstraction, right, it was kind of like a big thing that happened in Ethereum during ETH Denver, and how that, you know, all the different ramifications of it, as it pertained to like, rollups and different L1s and cross chain protocols, etc. Yeah, I think we're finally realizing the, I guess, it's the one thing to talk about, but one thing to plan for and like integrate into roadmaps. And I feel like, I'm starting to see a lot of projects like move towards that direction. So going back to like, like cross chain UX, I know historically it's been pretty much a nightmare. I mean, when I first started, um, like even two years ago, I had to watch several YouTube videos on how to like bridge assets to Polygon. <laughs> um, and and Same. and like I <laughs> think that was part of you know part of the inoperability. And you know, problem with cross chain like UX. So, do, what are your you know thoughts on inoperability and like cross chain UX and how those things kind of go together, and the things that you've noticed or um, like have thoughts about? So, I'll start by saying that like cross chain UX like sucks. Um, I think that's just like something that everyone recognizes, even the people that spend you know, 100% of their time trying to fix that problem. Um, and it, it's hard to like diagnose exactly why it sucks. Um, but I think I do think it's a combination of like two things. Uh, the first thing is just like a lot of the infrastructure is like really kind of early. Right. Um, and so when you think about like, you know, your, 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 your use case, for example, right, you're trying to like, move assets mm -hmm. from Ethereum on the polygon, like, the early kind of um, like implementations of a way in which you can actually, you know, lock assets on Ethereum and then kind of like mint these new assets on, on Polygon was like really rudimentary. And so what that mm -hmm. meant was like, it was really slow, right? And there wasn't really like a lot of, I guess, like visibility into what was happening. And so you're basically like, as a user, like kind of like throwing your money into the abyss and you're like, okay, I hope something comes back, right? 
because like the infrastructure was just like mm-hmm. not really that great. Um, so I think that's like one piece of it. And like over time, like things have improved, like the bridge has improved uh, for Polygon, for example. Um, there's been like better documentation. There's been better UI, better data indexing in order to make kind of that process more visible. Um, and broadly, there's just mm-hmm. like better tools now, right? Things that go faster, things that are safer, et cetera. Um, so I, th- I think that's like the first piece. um i think the second piece is um kind of around just like i don't know like i I guess i just Mm -hmm. call it like ux laziness right where it was like a lot of the kind of pain or like a lot of the very technical processes were kind of exposed to the user and so like the fact that like you know i think like in the early days of bridging it was like user like you yeah. you have to do the bridge right and you're like okay and you're like okay i guess i'm just gonna go to like another website and like move my assets and then go back to the application i originally wanted to use and then now i have assets and now you're starting to see that like at least some applications are like oh no like we have like a bridge like inside mm-hmm. our application right and so it's like you don't have, really have to like leave your screen you can kind of do all these things Uh, all within kind of the context in which you want to do in the first place, right? It's not like someone is trying to bridge for the sake of bridging. They Mm -hmm. bridge because they want to do something. Um, So it's better. And then over time, like, that also just becomes, like, automated, right? Like, I kind of, like, I think this, like, one, like, stage that we're at right now, this, like, kind of intermediary stage is, like, it's good because, like, we're Mm -hmm. not, like, moving screens, but, like, the user still has to click all those buttons, even though it's, like, you know, technically all, all on the same screen, until eventually it's like, okay, like the user's not even clicking buttons. It just like kind of happens uh, underneath the hood. Um, but yeah, I think that's like another kind of huge blocker that we see from the from the UX perspective. Um, but like a lot of the people thinking about this problem are like mm-hmm. working really hard to try to solve it. Um, it's just like, I- I'm sure like once you kind of peel back the curtain, you realize that there's a lot of limitations that people need to work with uh, that maybe aren't like kind of um, top of mind when you look at it from a high level. And like as someone that you know spends a lot of time building in cross chain, I kind of recognize yeah, I that think as well. Especially like when I migrated from a web two designer to a web three designer, like I, I guess came in with a certain level of privilege because like anything that I wanted to do was possible before, <laughs> you know, from a UX perspective. And then coming in here and being like, oh no, 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 it doesn't work like that. Like you have to design around this like technical limitation. I'm like, what? Um. So and also, I think. I don't know. I think the mantra in Web3 right now is like one less click. And I think we've gotten a number of clicks down. But like ideally, like you said, um, if you want to do something on another chain, you can just instantly buy, switch and buy versus having to even know what the word bridge means, essentially. Um, I don't think people realize like the huge like uh, vocabulary gap that you have to like cross when you're starting to become a web3 user and these these terms feel very like native to us but it's very intimidating especially if you're like a non-english speaker and or like just simply don't understand this weird thing that we're talking about and um the barrier of entry is still fairly high and because of the things you've already talked about um i guess what are your perspectives on or do you even care about like the touch points in which like this happens. I've noticed a lot of wallets are starting to take on a lot of this work in terms of inoperability and cross-chain uh, compatibility. Um, there are a few DEXs that are doing it, but I'm starting to see more and more wallets themselves like kind of bake that into the process. Do you have any like uh, point of views on that? 
what do you mean by like wallets taking on more of that process like yeah could you, exactly. can i get like the an example of what like, that looks it wasn't like too long ago like bridging happened at the dex level essentially so if i went to sushi swap and i wanted to uh go to my polygon i had to go to sushi swap then polygon then back versus now like the coinbase wallet um and like the phantom wallet you can literally just you know, bridge right in the app before you even like go to the decks essentially um and i'm seeing more wallets try like bake in more features for like that of being able to manage your assets all on the wallet level without even having to connect to adapt gotcha yeah that that makes sense um i mean i think it ultimately comes down to like what interfaces Mm -hmm. do users want to use in order to like get the job done that they need Mm -hmm. to get done right um and so like me as as someone that's kind of used wallets in all of its iterations for many years now like i kind of have a different relationship with a wallet where wallets are really just like kind of a, a place where i sign transactions right um and I, I i'm more i'm more comfortable using kind of the like the desktop clients or you know the mobile clients or kind of like the the uh the web app um in order to actually have my experiences and so um to example like sushi you know like your sushi swap example you know sushi swap then bridge you know going to polygon and going back to sushi swap um now we're kind of seeing like sushi swap like own that end-to-end experience as well right and so they're integrating you know they've integrated something called stargate which is a a token bridge uh, built on top of layer zero uh, in order to kind of connect all those disparate liquidity pools or disparate uh, deployments across chains for sushi and so now you can just like say like hey like i have eth and i want to get you know i have eth on ethereum i don't want to get matic on polygon and you can kind of just like do that straight through on, on sushi swap um and so that's kind of like the experience that I personally feel more comfortable doing. Um, but I do think there are like a lot of newer users or maybe just people with different kind of mindsets that see wallets as kind of their their main gateway into interacting with a lot of Web3 applications. And so that's where you're starting to see like these wallets become a lot more like um, kind of just like web explorers, right? They kind of just look like you know, you can like go on sites or you can kind of search applications and do all these things within within these wallets. And so, you know, you, you mentioned Coinbase. Coinbase wallet is a, is a really good example of that. It's like you can literally, they have like a browser. You can literally just like enter in a URL, like an application and interact with it using that wallet. Um, and I think like wallets broadly as a design space is really interesting because I don't really know like where it I don't really know where the space is going. Like it can move in so many directions. Like wallets are trying to like move more deeply into the stack where like they're trying to be like, you know, exposing um, like airdrops, right? I, I, uh, there's a wallet uh, called Daylight that does that. It's like, hey, we're a wallet, but like we can also, you know, when, once you input your address, we can also show you that you've qualified for all these airdrops. So you probably didn't even realize, right? Or it's like you can do governance voting, um like i know commonwealth is is really kind of big on that uh rainbow wallet of course is really big on nfc collections 
Um, and so it, it, it gets really interesting kind of seeing where like the wallet space evolves in that regard. But I do think, uh, you know, I do think broadly that uh, using your wallet for like swaps or for NFT collections or for what have you makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I guess the innovation I'm seeing is happening. And maybe I am biased because I because I see more UX like things being released on the wallet level versus on the app level, I tend to like study wallets more heavily. Um, but if you really think about it, if you're a new person to Web3, the wallet is like one of your first touch points. And so they're really trying to like build loyalty um, because like, I don't think, the, I don't think the most beginner users know that they could just take their keys and like go somewhere else. They assume like, okay, I have an account with Google. That's my Google account. Oh, I have an account with, you know, Phantom. That's my Phantom account, I think. And so they're really trying to build that loyalty up by having so many features at the wallet level. Um, I guess in your opinion, like what is kind of the biggest hurdle to get to this like UX utopia we've all been talking about in crypto? Um, You mentioned the infrastructure before, um, but is there any other things that you see as like roadblocks to some of these like, big dreams that we've been talking about in terms of like cross-chain UX. Um, yeah, I, I do think like, you know, the gold standard is having like, I think you, you said it pretty well, like one less click. Um, it's kind of like the, the trend that we're seeing in, in the space broadly as it pertains to design. Um, like when I kind of think about that problem where it's like, okay, like how do we get one less click or how do we get into the world where there's like as few clicks as possible? Um, or like, I guess said differently, because maybe that's not like the end all be all. It's just like, how do we mimic a, um, a very, excuse me, like a very convenient experience that is analogous to what people are familiar with from a web two context. I think the biggest blockers are really just like um, like the constraints in which we have to build these solutions uh, that kind of don't allow us to exactly have like a one-for-one replication of like a Web2 experience, right? Um, and so I don't know if you read this uh, blog post that came out a few years ago. Uh, but it was by foundation, like the NFT uh, marketplace. And it was called Crypto Wants to be Seen. Um, and it was basically talking about how like Foundation V1 um, like, ex- like kind yeah. of hit a lot of details around blockchain, things like uh, gas prices and block times for bidding and stuff like that, uh, and like keys and everything. Um, and then their blog post, they said like, yeah, we tried to do that. And like users ultimately got like mm. really confused. Um, because we try to like gloss over concepts like block times. It's like, oh, like why did my bid mm-hmm. not go through? Or like, why is my bid so expensive right now? And they're trying to like, explain it in like non-crypto terms. Um, and so when they launched Foundation V2, they're like, no, like, you know, crypto wants to be seen. We're mm-hmm. going to expose all those things, right? Uh, and so that was, uh, I, I don't necessarily like, agree like to to either direction right foundation v1 versus v2 but i do think that like you can start seeing that there's like inherent things about blockchain that just like need to be 
exposed and need to be understood. Um, and so it's kind of like a tough thing to reconcile, right? It's like you want to have this like replication mm-hmm. of a Web2 experience. You also still want to educate this kind of new wave of users of why kind of the UX trade-offs you made are, are so important from like, you know, the principles of blockchain. Um, but I think with that said, like there's still kind of like a lot of opportunity to, to increase the UX. Um, and uh, and, and I, I go, kind of going back to my original answer, I do mm. think there's just like a lot of constraints that we have to work with, right? Like when I think about like, why do we need to do a token approval like before we do like a, it's any sort of interaction, right? And it's like, oh, that's just like the way that like contracts mm-hmm. are made on Ethereum, right? And so it's like, okay, how do we kind of like get past that hurdle? One way is like, okay, we can just like make a new blockchain that doesn't have mm. token approvals, right? Or another way is like, okay, we can have a way in which you kind of yeah, combine so. transactions, right? So mm. it's like you can combine the token approval with the swap. And then you realize that you can't really do that in like a very mm-hmm. easy way on Ethereum. And so you have to use this like off-chain kind of service mm-hmm. called a relayer, right? So something like a Gelato or Biconomy does that. Uh, but then you kind of like trust them to hold your keys. And so it gets really complicated. And then there's a lot of discussion around, okay, how do you make sure you're not trusting these entities? And so then you start enshrining like what the job that they've been doing, which are now called like paymasters. Uh, and that's now been like, that's now a part of Ethereum, right? With like mm. ERC4337, like that's like now just like a part of the protocol. Um, and so you, you can kind of see how like when you peel back, you're like, oh, like there's a kind of like a lot of, like uh like ux can be unlocked but then you like kind of give up on the decentralization or the trustlessness uh principles that you want to have because i was starting to think like i've I've been talking about this a lot recently and it's like are we wasting our time in terms of like do we need to create a one-to-one web two experience and web three in order for us to reach mass adoption or is there a way for us to like baby step people into this world and educate as we go and I think I feel like people have taken the one, one or the other. Like either I'm gonna expose everything and confuse people, or I'm gonna abstract everything and also confuse people. I mean, I forget the name of the law, but there's like this UX law that like basically says like there's only a certain level of abstraction that you can do before like you start to hinder the user experience or like not give them enough information to like make you know educated decisions essentially. Um, and I think, I mean, not related to the technical stuff you've been talking about, but I think that just stems from, uh, living in startup world where you don't have enough time to like really get to know the people you're trying to serve, or you don't even know the people you're trying to serve yet. So you're just kind of like meandering around until you like strike a chord. <laughs> um, it, because like I was recently yeah. asked this in the interview, it's like, well, what level of abstraction do you do? And I'm just like, well, who are we targeting? Like, are we targeting, like, you know, grandmas? Are we targeting, uh, you know, like, Gen Zers? Are we ta- like, all those things go into play of, like, what level of abstraction that you want to have, essentially, in your app. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, well, that's really, that, that's, I think that's, like, a really important point because, like, you know, when when people talk about, like, design, uh in in crypto like a lot of it goes into Mm. like the inherent issues of like the ux right but i I think another thing that i think not enough people really think about in crypto is just like Mm -hmm. being very (laughs) user-centric i think in many ways or Mm -hmm. just like very like product focused um in like the development of, of what people are building i think like we glorify a lot of like projects that are like 
mm-hmm. here's a white paper and here's our vision and everyone's like yes like do that like i don't care if it takes like <laughs> two three five years like i want this you know and you're like okay like maybe it's better if it's like iterative and it becomes more of a conversation with users and so you ensure that you know once you're sinking in like tens of millions of dollars it's actually like yeah. building something that people want um and i think that's like a very glaring problem in the space i use i i mean i'm always studying new patterns i'm always keeping up with the space and i've downloaded apps where i was like this is cool but like why would i ever need to use this Uh. (laughs) um yeah i I think in in, excuse me a lot of people are building in bear markets they're scared they're trying to get more active users i think i'm starting to observe a lot of churn essentially like meaning like if you're a DAO tools, there's only so many DAOs that's going to be there in order for you to be sustainable. And so a lot of people are pivoting to a Web2 audience to, like, grow, but they actually, and their response to that is, like, abstract everything. And I'm starting to think, like, you know, there was a point in which an old computer, where the computer was brand new, and we had to teach people how to use it, right? People had to learn what mouse were, they had to learn where keyboards were. And I feel like we're basically, you know, there again. And it doesn't do us a service to, like, you know, prevent that learning by making things feel like a centralized app. Because like what you said, there's just innate things that will come up that just are very Web3. And if you haven't done the work to, like, onboard that user fully, you just eventually, like, basically delay friction in the user experience. Um, I guess. Uh, yeah, definitely. It, it, it's a really fine trade-off, like a, a very fine line to, to kind of, uh, I guess, so what is your point of view on like, how do we like ethically educate people to this new computer thing? Um, I guess, do you have any thoughts on like onboarding and how that speaks to like your, um, whole ethos of, um, inoperability and cross-chain? Yeah, so is, is the question on, like, what is the onus of, yes. mm-hmm. like, us as crypto natives to, like, yeah. educate people mm-hmm. on, on like, the importance of, of these principles and why that's yes. worth the UX trade-off? Yeah, um, I mean, I definitely think it's important. I, I think, like, mm-hmm. maybe not the best analogy, but I think of, like, cars mm-hmm. versus, like, carriages. Right. Where it's like, I imagine like the first car came out and people are like, why the <laughs> yeah. hell would I ever use that? Like, what is this thing? Like, it's a machine that runs. I have to fill it with gas. There's like all these moving parts. Like, I'm good. Like, mm-hmm. I know what my horse does. It's got a cart in the back. It does. It gets the job done, you know? Um, and I, I, I think it's kind of like, uh, it's maybe like a similar analogy for us where it was like, you know, when if you look underneath the hood, you're like, why would like someone that has grown up with like, you know, the internet mm-hmm. and grew up with a lot of kind of like centralized, um, like centralized tech platforms, like use this, right? It's like a lot of responsibility to own your own keys. Like there's a lot of exploits. There's a lot of kind of UX hurdles. There's a lot of really complex terminology. And I, and I think it's all about like articulating like why you know, like, 
why mm. is it beneficial uh, for, for us to do this, right? And, and it might seem like a little far-fetched for a lot of people because like it, it kind of goes outside the concepts of like mm. their mental models of the world. And so cars, it was like, yeah, cars are like dangerous. And like, you know, I, I imagine like the first cars weren't even that much mm. faster than like a horse carriage, but it's like they're dangerous, but it's like, oh, it's like automated. Now, now you don't take care of a horse and stuff like that. And like when you look at Web3, it's like, oh, it's mm-hmm. like all about self-sovereignty, right? It's all about like openness and, and freedom and borderlessness and stuff like that. Um, and that those are like very abstract concepts, right? Um, but I think like over time, like there's like kind of a, an education and a shift where it becomes like really important. Um, and, uh, and, and I think over time, you, you'll see mm-hmm. kind of like UX improve too, right? It's like the first cars mm-hmm. were like manual, right? In terms of like shifting gears and now they're like automatic and now they have like climate control and they have windshields and like, you know, like all these different things, right? And so it's like, I imagine like over time, Web3 will become like much better from UX perspective where like when you look in hindsight, it's like, okay, this is going to be like a no brainer uh, when you look at and the also, past. Like, I think people forget and then people did forget in the, in the last like bull market, which is like a highly motivated user will suffer through a poor UX if they feel like there's like, you know, light at the end of the tunnel or it's going to, you know, unlock something for them. And so I think, I, I mean, as you were talking, I was thinking like, maybe we just have to be really comfortable with this. Like, I think we've been trying to fight against it and like abstract or, do away with it because we want so desperately to adopt the next, you know, uh, you know, thousands of active users so we can raise money <laughs> again. But I think collectively we have to kind of like just kind of be okay with where we're at and like work through it as much as we can versus like continuing. I don't. I, don't, I think we do ourselves a disservice if we recreate a one-to-one, you know, Web two experience and Web three because we kind of like lose the magic of, of it all. Um, and totally. then if this feels like an app that I've already used before, then why not use the, the less complicated app, which is probably a Web2 app, <laughs> you know? So speaking yeah. to people's like core values yeah, definitely. and systems, I think I went on a mini rant about this, that about like creating an ethos around our products um, that then mm-hmm. like, like, you know, there's a difference why people will choose Nike versus Adidas, right? It's because one maybe better aligns with their values and the other ones where they both sell shoes. And so creating ethos around our products to to speak to, like, this thing, either self-sovereignty or wealth and equality or that, that like, spiritual need. So, so then when we inadvertently give them a shitty UX experience because we can't, like, make it better because of the technology, at least they'll still hear for the vibes i guess (laughs) that's kind of my thought (laughs) at the very least a little bit we just haven't done it to scale (laughs) i think like it happens like Mm -hmm. every every little bit like there's like more and more people that like kind of understand the ethos of it right um and like it's tough because it's like you know you want to lean on the ethos but it's like it's kind of like so intangible in many ways um but I, I do think like every cycle that i've seen right like more and more people kind of um like get more mm-hmm. involved and more kind of um 
excited about the 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 principles of web3 right it was like first it started with payments essentially and then it eventually went to like you know um like finance and then art Uh slash the creator economy and with DAOs, it was just like work in general and now there's like DSI, like decentralized science like kind of convincing people that this is like the future of like you know like uh, scientific research funding and and uh, peer-reviewed research and stuff like that and so mm-hmm. like i think like every cycle like new things kind of pop up where people are like oh like this is actually pretty pertinent to what i'm doing uh and, and it gets like more and more people excited which is which is a good thing um yeah and i honestly like i like i, I understand like the barrier mm-hmm. is like incredibly high and of course like ethereum is expensive but like polygon's like not terribly expensive mm-hmm. i mean polygon has its, its own issues uh from an infra perspective but <laughs> um i don't know like i feel like i'm at the point where it's like if like a new crypto thing comes i, I would just like use it and i'm like yeah like you know mm-hmm. i've kind of like learned what it means to like use this stuff and again like i don't want to go back to my old analogy but it's like you know when i first started driving a car mm-hmm. i was like what the hell is going on here and now it's like yeah. i just hop on any car really i don't even it doesn't even care i don't even care if it's like the wrong side of the street <laughs> in like a different country I'm just like, yeah, like a car is a car, you know, like it, it works. I have my mental model for it, stuff like that. Um, like that's that's kind of like my maybe naive take on on UX in the space. It's all about just like overcoming yeah, that initial barrier. That, you have to speak to values and become a lot more user centric and and product agnostic. I think um, is the key, or you know, person centered. I hate the term user that much. It's like so weird. But anyway, uh, I know. Yeah, user is like, a we weird term. <laughs> But like, Hi, it's user. very like, it feels extractive, you know? Um, and I don't really like Yeah. It. Yeah, it yeah. feels does. transactional. Um, I was just going to go on like a mini, I guess, um, I think, I think I saw something recently that said like, man, L2 releases like every five seconds. Like, what the hell is like so many L2s? Um... I guess are there any like L2s or like chains that you like prefer or like what they're doing or see a, a use case and like I guess in the chain wars like what are your perspectives at this moment? I don't know. I feel like um like in many ways Ethereum mm-hmm. has won and just like really just like continues to take on more like insurgents and just like win <laughs> um and uh it, it kind of like evolves right i think that's like the beauty of ethereum versus something like bitcoin mm-hmm. is like it evolves and so when you look at ethereum and aggregate right like when you look at all of the all the roll-ups on top of ethereum you're like yeah like there's really not a lot of fault that i can find in this like mm-hmm. new roadmap or new system Right. In terms of like all the things that need to be accomplished uh, for mass adoption and and for the scale that we need to have uh, from this underlying infrastructure in order to enable mass adoption. Um, With that said, like, I do think that there are other projects that are Mm -hmm. really fascinating, um, uh, mainly from like a talent perspective, I would say Uh, talent and kind of just like innovation perspective. Uh, So I'd like I like SWE a lot uh, as a. Uh, kind of, um, you know, it's a a monolithic chain, but it has kind of like parallel execution. It has a really kind of novel, um, like design or to allow for high throughput. 
through the system. Mm-hmm. I like Cosmos uh, as, a, as a builder in Cosmos. I like all the infrastructure that's been built with the Cosmos SDK and IBC. And so um, there's definitely like things in, in the in the periphery that are really fascinating. But uh, I don't know, like, I'm, I'm just going to be a realist here. And, and I, I think that like Ethereum is just like <laughs> kind of won many battles throughout many years. And has built kind but of Lindy from that. Cheaper, which is not like if that's your value add as a chain, then like it's not going to be enough anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Like some of these rollups, like you know, at scale, like they're going to be like as as cheap mm-hmm. as Polygon right now, and so it's it's it, it it gets harder to kind of like justify moving ecosystems. Um, but the fact of reality is like there will be multiple mm-hmm. ecosystems, right? That's just like how. The world's going to work and uh you know I, I think that's where like catalyst you know what i'm building is is very kind of well positioned in order to kind of um connect those ecosystems together yeah i think uh again i think I, i'm gonna say i hope everybody wins but i think you're right I, my instincts like say that because in ethereum is innovating like technology is getting better and i think I think instead of like focusing on adopting mass users, I think people should focus on honestly marketing. Cause I think that's what really is going to set one chains apart from another one is like, how are you speaking to people versus the actual technology? It's like at the end of the day, um, most people are not going to care about the tech are not going to care about the, the yeah. uh, they're going to be like, are you solving my problem or do you rely on my values? You know? Um, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, it's narrative, right? It, marketing feels very, I don't know, like, uh, again, yeah. transactional, but it's like narrative, right? It's like, can you, can you really mm-hmm. inspire people, uh, towards kind of the, the vision of the future that you're building towards and, I think that's like where a lot of people mm. are really excited about Cosmos. Is like Cosmos inherently does have like a very yes. different vision than Ethereum. It's all about like full stack sovereignty as opposed to like Ethereum's like no like here's like a standard playbook that mm. everyone needs to capitulate to. I guess I've, I've, I've emotions. Thought about this like, <laughs> of, especially in DeFi. Like I have like a mini tyrant in me, and I'm, like I'm trying to fight it and like get on board with decentralization because I do see all the benefits of decentralization, but like. How do you reconcile with like quality control and decentralization? Because I feel like the the chains that are slightly less decentralized, they they often, you know, their value is like, well, we're less decentralized, but we have like control over X, Y, Z in terms of quality or security or like whatever, what have you. And so I guess, how do you reconcile with those things? Um, but truly have like a decentralized like point of view and, and um like met you know ethos essentially yeah happy to answer that uh, the net of it is like that's a huge that's huge tension right it's like mm-hmm. having kind of uh control over like exploits or being able to like have fixes really quickly or just have have more kind of um control versus mm-hmm. like um versus like seeding away that control which is good because then it's like you can't become like a malicious actor Mm-hmm. Um, it's very kind of philosophical. I think it's like the same way how it's like, okay, like would you have a benevolent kind of authoritarian government, right? Mm-hmm. And like you know, where it's like, okay, like some things are bad, but like a lot of things are really good because they've made really decisive decisions. 
or would you have like you know a pure democracy that's like really really slow but like at least everyone has a voice and there's no like tyranny mm. of the minority um i think ultimately it comes down to like I, I mean like this is kind of a a, a cop-out answer but it's like progressive decentralization mm. right but it's like when you choose a decentralized is like too, super subjective, mm-hmm. right? And it's like, oh, like, I think we're ready to decentralize. And then you decentralize and then you find another bug and you're like, oh, like, how do we, how do we solve this bug? Like, I wish we didn't decentralize so quickly, right? And so um, I don't have a good answer for you. I think there's a ton of tension on that. And there's a ton of tension on thinking through any sort of, you know, project that wants to decentralize and what are the right milestones in order to do so. Yeah, it's, it's just tough stuff. So I'll let you go. <laughs> I don't think I have an answer either. I, I tend to lean more to- authoritarian because of my military background. I'm just like, <laughs> I want everybody to get their own way, but I also want to control how they get there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. Okay. Well, nice talking to you. I don't want to take too much of your time. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for your time. I appreciate it. Thank you. You um, too. Yeah. to this episode of designer dow i hope you enjoyed it you are the real mvp to learn more about designer dow follow us on twitter make an account on our website which is designer xyz if you're interested in joining the community feel free to join us on telegram as well until next time thank you